right. Hello, everybody. We are here for a special makeup episode of A Democrat and a Republican Walk Into a Bar. It's been a busy summer coming yeah. spring spring summer thing going on here so we haven't been able to get over to our friends at ollie's in cape coral but both yeah. sean and i wanted to get together and have an episode so that you are informed and i of course am your democrat host dr cindy banier along with sean i'm here with as the republican and yeah it's been a busy a uh, few weeks i actually just started summer classes at fgcu wings um, up yeah i'm super excited i'm doing a management class and a uh, sociology class on social stratification, which is very interesting. Definitely some insight and perspective that I wouldn't get in my normal circle. So very happy to get this. I've been having some stressful situations with the bursar's office this week. So it's been with finances and everything. So it's been hectic, but shout out to Melissa Mari and FGCU Complete with all the work that they're doing and helping me with going back to college and finishing my degree. I have about a year left. Super Great. excited. I'm a I'm a bit of an academic nerd, so always. Yeah, always and congratulations. Happy. It's actually super tough to go back, and I'm proud of FGCU and to be part of the FGCU team. I've been on faculty there almost 10 years now, yeah. and they have done a lot in the last few years trying to help students, returning students like you, get mm -hmm. back in and complete their degrees because there is actually a whole lot of people that did a couple years of college, dropped out, and we don't want people to miss the opportunity to complete their degree and get the education and move into a career that can be really beneficial to them. I agree, yeah. No, I'm enjoying it so far. I find myself in my natural element when I'm a student and learning. I just, I love doing it. So I'm enjoying it. And despite all of the stresses dealing with finances and administration and student of student loans, they didn't have me as a Florida resident and I had to go through an entire thing. Yeah, it's been tough, but I'm, again, I really wanted to make sure that we at least got something in. And of course, we're still planning on meeting this Sunday at Ollie's yes. and getting back to our normal routine. But there's a so lot you better come get a drink with us. Yes, definitely come and get a drink with us and buy maybe buy me a drink because I'm definitely probably going to need some. <laughs> but no, it's been very stressful, but it's been a big news related few weeks and we missed quite a bit just moments ago before we got on the air. We had the debt ceiling vote. It did pass. I actually have the numbers up. I can pull them up real quick. So it was 241 to 187 is the total for in favor. The Republican vote was 189. The Republican nay vote was 29. Democrats had 52 yay votes and 158 no votes. And I know that this is something we've already talked about a few weeks ago. That was actually our last episode, I think, was the debt ceiling, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Could be. Uh, it's been too long. No, but look, I think this is a fair compromise. I think neither side really got what it wanted. Obviously, your side didn't even want to have this fight. But we did, and we didn't get everything we wanted. But I think we we got a lot of good things in terms of capping the spending. And again, one of the things that I am happy to see that happen is we've suspended the debt limit. We didn't just put an arbitrary number on it. I have said in the last episode, I don't think we should have a debt ceiling. And I think there needs to be some sort of grand bargain to remove the debt ceiling permanently. I have suggested a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution as that sort of one for one compromise. But, and we talked about this last episode, the debt ceiling is relatively arbitrary and ridiculous anyway. I support the compromise. I think it's a very good compromise. Obviously, we have the Freedom Caucus that was very much against it. Yes. So, including Byron Donalds, our congressman here, who came. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. And I get that. No, he's I get called for growth too. Like, yeah, he's no, not just Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus. Yeah. All of them. Mm -hmm. 
I completely understand their why and their arguments and everything, but we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, as the saying goes. This is a this is good enough, and it prevents a very serious problem. And right. we, as Republicans, really needed to recognize that. Yeah, th- this is something that that we need to not we need to avoid. We need we to not crash the economy yeah. for political exactly. It would be ideal, but that for me, what that would mean is we need to have these discussions much earlier. So we've now well, they belong with the budget. That's been the whole my whole stand, right? We do have this. We'll have this same debate (laughs) on spending and cuts come September when we're working on the budget, the fiscal year for 2024, right? So Mm. we can have that discussion, and it belongs in the budget, right? The debt ceiling has always been something that was put in, supposed to make it easier before we had a budget and reconciliation process. But now that we do have a budgeting and reconciliation process, it's become arbitrary and it's become a political football. It's used to double dip on this economic discussion and be used as a battering ram, particularly against Democrats who want to have different types of spending, social spending and things like that. Hmm. So what the deal is, and I actually appreciate, yeah, the, the compromise component Something on NPR was listening to the report on it this morning that they were talking about is that the reporter said, look, there's nobody that loves this bill. And maybe that's <laughs> proof that it's a good bill. That's a good compromise. And it's something similar to what I tell my students when I teach American government. I said the best solution is usually the one that nobody likes <laughs> because everybody loses something. Right. And it's part and parcel of the political polarization that we have now that we have far mm-hmm. less like centrist bills and bipartisan and really far less that we can agree on we even though i yes. would say like with us we're we i would say represent the hoi polloi of both of our parties the, the general mainstream of people who yes we, we feel very strongly about our principles and values but we also want our government to function and our government yeah. to work and the economy to work there is actually i had the opportunity to watch the speeches during the debate al green who's a democrat from texas talked about how in 2008, how his constituents wanted him to vote against the bank bailouts. And then Mm -hmm. after that, something had happened. And because of the no votes that were going out, the market had some issues. And his constituents were calling him saying, why did you crash the market? And look, this is the reality of of what happened. People, People want certain things when there's principles. But when you see the realities of what will happen, then... That's when people turn and say, we need pragmatism, we need practicality, we need a reasonable solution. So my biggest worry, and I think the only real thing I have a problem with the bill is it does, is another one of those kick the can down the road. And this is going to be resolved basically by lame duck Congress and God willing, a lame duck president, depending on who the Republican nominee is. But you're going to have basically people who are going to be leaving office making this decision. And most likely they're not even going to start talking about what to do until 2024, 2025, late in the game. And this is really, and where I would actually agree with you is that these issues do need to be taken care of in the budgetary process. And we need to have an actual budgetary process instead of what we always have, which is last minute scramble to try to get something done. And then it's like the 11 o'clock hour and it's either we vote on this or it's crisis. And and we've seen it in Republican administrations. We've seen it in Democratic administrations. And I have heard so many times Tea Party Republican Byron Donald complain about it too. 
And it's true. We should, and it is something that, and I, yeah, but they are also part of the the problem when they're using the economy hostage for these very extremely fiscally conservative policies, right? That we're not going to be addressed in this context, right? Yeah. No, again, yes. Yeah. So this is, we need to reform the process in which our budget is done for that, for that reason. I a hundred percent agree with you there because. So let me throw something out here because I think you'll actually appreciate this. So another thing that people have been talking about around this is that the idea that the Democrats could have actually ended the debt ceiling while they had control of the presidency and the two houses. Right. Yeah. But they chose not to because they were trying to do all the other stuff and it just, Mm -hmm. whatever, it didn't come up. It wasn't a priority, but that's been a very interesting component of the discussion right now as well. And I think part of it is that if at that point in time, Democrats had decided that they were going to eliminate the debt ceiling, it would have caused Maybe it would have more. been a political issue. So yeah, political so, issues. So what do you think about that? Because so Democrats so, are basically catching some heat for having not solved this problem when they were in control. I do think that there is a fair argument that Democrats could have raised the debt ceiling while they were in control. And again, like I said, I do think the debt ceiling should be eliminated. But I do also think that if they had moved for something like that, first off, and I'm not 100 percent sure if it would be subject to filibuster rules, if it needed a 60 proof majority to eliminate the debt ceiling. I would assume since it's a budgetary issue, it would not need it to raise the debt ceiling. But yes, I do think that eliminate it would. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I think it would have been a much difficult, more difficult, and it will be much more difficult. To call the parliamentarian to get the (laughs) verdict. Imagine parliamentarian before, yeah. Um, I can't imagine a worse job, to be honest. I really, I feel bad for them because, and we had, so we had a meeting with our Republican executive committee last week where we were voting on a resolution to to basically condemn our fellow Republicans in part for the resign to run law we were talking about. Oh yeah. We lost quorum. We, lo- what it, we ended up losing quorum because everyone, including myself, quite frankly, we all left, but we had gotten a parliamentarian to run it much more smoothly. I thought he did very well, but a lot of our members just, they wanted it done their way. And it became, we tried to divide the resolution up and then there was a lot of discussion there. And then everyone just decided it's taking too long because this is what unfortunately happens in our Republican executive committee meetings is it takes too long. There's too much debate. There's too much grandstanding from people. And then people are like, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to three, four, five hours in the evening so they all left and we okay I don't, if it I makes don't... you feel any better the democratic meetings are like that too <laughs> we have it's a little bit less like contention but it's like everybody wants their thing and it's like <laughs> the meetings drag on forever yeah i don't feel like you guys are out there passing massive radical resolutions <laughs> okay no but like we're it's actually much more like we're arguing over what should be put in the bylaws and whether it should be yeah. five versus 10. It's it's even more like pedantic, I guess. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. Yeah. Yeah. At least we're, when we're arguing and debating with each other, it's about something substantive, whether or not to condemn Republicans or whether or not to yeah. secure yeah, the Yeah, no, we're not really doing all that. It's just, should the golf tournament colors be blue and green or green and blue? Oh my God. Yeah. We have napkins or cloth. 
It wouldn't surprise me if we ever had to have those discussions, but we have like committees who are supposed to be handling that type of stuff. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, not to. Yeah, no, but yeah, no, the rest We can criticize and pick on one another, but I guess it's, I guess anytime you get these kind of groups, there's always a fair amount of dysfunction. Yeah. And and I will say that it's definitely, I'm hoping it's slowly starting to get better, but yeah, there's a lot of, and we're such a, in terms of our committee now, I think we're over 300 members. So even I'm serious. It's we're growing at least in terms of the committees or the precinct committee is or the executive committee is per, pretty large, and it's even with twenty or thirty percent of the people we have hundred people each time and just everyone wants to have their voices heard. Everyone wants to so it gets a bit dysfunctional, but it's mm-hmm. yeah you know it's it a is lot of people to process too. It is. But God bless the parliamentarians who do yes. their best. The parliamentarians, if you don't know, are the ones that Thank are God. like they know like the Roberts rules and like how this is supposed to go and if this is a point of order or a, if you can debate here is there an amendment or blah 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 they are like the experts of that and yeah they can be very helpful when it comes to these kind of nuanced things and when we're talking at the higher level in congress obviously yeah. parliamentarian congress determines the application of the agreed upon rules as to yeah. whether or not something fits into a budgetary process, which would be fast-tracked and not subjected to a cloture vote, which would be filibustered, or yeah. if it would have to go through the traditional process of a 60-member yeah. cloture vote in order so to get to That's why I think that raising the debt ceiling, they could have done, and I agree they should have done. And I don't think, they probably weren't thinking like, Let's wait to hold this ball and then use it as a political football for when the Republicans take over. But I think they should have had in consideration at the time there was the thought that we were going to take over the House and they should have tried to avoid that situation. And you guys, your side talks about quite often being the adults in the room. That would have been being the adult in the room, ensuring that the issue wasn't something they took up or we took up when we took over. But I think that going into an election, no Democrat wanted to be seen as the one that point, was yeah, eliminating the cap on spending because that's how mm. it would be painted. That's, yeah, that would even if it was a raising of the debt ceiling, I think it probably would have. It would be painted, painted like as that. trying to raise the debt ceiling before the vote, and it probably would have won us more seats. Quite frankly, because you would have had you know had a very close seats in a lot of races, you could have seen that yeah. become a part of the political issue. We flipped maybe one or two seats. I don't know. Yeah. You're right. It would have been a political issue, but I think but I think it is a fair criticism to say that Democrats had the opportunity to at least raise the debt ceiling early in the session, not eliminate it, but raise it so that way but yeah. it wouldn't be an issue by the time Republicans came and used it as the political football that we're using we've used it as. That we've seen today. So yeah, the government's we- supposed to run out of money by June fifth. The House passed the bill today. So clock is ticking, essentially. I heard that Senate Majority Leader Schumer told the Senate that they are going to be there through the weekend to get through their processes to pass this bill. I'm sure that's going to be, yeah, I'm sure it'll be fast-tracked in the Senate. It'll be on Biden's desk before, before the deadline, which, again... We uh, we should really, on both sides, really demand that to stop these crisis scenarios and really work on these issues very early on, as opposed to waiting to the last minute and procrastinating and then putting us on the brink. But Congress loves to wait to the and last it does, minute. It does. It's then, so, then you yeah. can use time as a wedge. Yeah. 
and it, and we shouldn't and we should be demanding both of us should be demanding more from oh yeah we should be demanding like good governance practice yeah yes i know how crazy <sighs> how crazy but let's let's talk about the ron DeSantis debacle the disaster if you will at the twitter spaces which was such i just feel so it was so embarrassing i'm just going to be honest it was very yeah. bad did you get a chance did you get a chance to listen to it or see any hear oh, any yeah. highlights you didn't get a chance no <laughs> i popped on at the time that it was supposed to be and i'm like i thought there was supposed to be like a big deal right now mm, nope. <laughs> and it was like nothing was happening then it, it of course turns out later that the announcement it was like dead air and dead. all sorts of stuff so i, got I did not listen <laughs> I got in very early on. It was about 20 minutes of dead air. <clears throat> and then, and it was because, quite frankly, and he's trying to say, oh, we had 500,000 people. It crashed Twitter. It broke the internet. The fact of the matter is, and I spoke to my sister about this, who's a programmer, people who are influencers, people who are creators know Twitter spaces sucks. It has been buggy since it started two years ago. And when Elon Musk goes out and fires all the programmers, it's not going to get better. <laughs> And, and and even then, like after their Twitter spaces, Florida's Voice had a Twitter space. Now, I don't know how many people they had. It definitely wasn't 500,000, okay? But they crashed within six minutes. So it's not a volume issue. It's a Twitter spaces yeah. sucks issue, which falls on Elon Musk, who failed to, who hadn't keep, kept the programmers necessary to keep it going. The other thing about it, though, if you did get a chance to listen to it, is it was pretty much, and part of my French, a circle jerk, both for Ron DeSantis and for Elon Musk. Like every other question, person who was questioning was praising Elon Musk, even though, let's be clear, the reason Twitter spaces failed and Ron DeSantis's announcement bungled so bad is because of Elon Musk. But you had people like Thomas Massey talking about how great Elon Musk is for defending free speech and this and that. It was like every other question was like praising Elon Musk. And it was all scripted. It was all scripted. It was all clearly planned out. And like it, an episode of the Kardashians. Yeah, very much. It was a reality show. And this is something that I think Trump is really going to seize on because Trump's the king of ad libs. And it's one of the things he talks about, all these people with their teleprompters. Ron DeSantis and all the pundits have been talking about it. He has a very big issue with the retail politics, with connecting personally with individual voters. And he, this Twitter space was supposed to be like to show that he can do that. And it yeah, failed. That he miserably. was a real person. Yeah, he's a real person. No, he came off very robotic. He came off, it was all basic talking points and all the questions were all basically fed by people who were his buddies, all of his old Congress buddies, people who are supportive of him. The person who was interviewing him has publicly endorsed him. Like the whole thing was a stage show. It really was. And not even yeah. a good one. And it wasn't even, exactly. It was a bad stage show. A very poorly done, done stage show. Yeah. He could have done and the other thing is, you know, had he done a video announcement, that could have been shared out. He did it purely audio. So if you're a news person and you're wanting to show clips, what are you showing? You're showing his like bubble. I thought about that too. I did think about that because I know we had this like video. Yeah, brief video. Commercial thing. beforehand. But then I was sitting, I was like, aren't Twitter spaces just audio? Like 100% audio. 
So it's like, how are you going? You, I you thought know, they were going to rig it with a video and make it super cool, but nope, no, nope. not it even was, that. It was, <laughs> no, it was, the whole thing was a nightmare. Right after though, he was on Tucker Carlson's replacement, Trey Gowdy. So it was on what would be Tucker Carlson's slot and did it like you a- Replacing with Trey Gowdy? That's- It's, I, it's a revolving temporary. Yeah, it's, it's like every, every few host days. Thing, yeah, exactly. right? Celebrity host. Yes, exactly. So Trey Gowdy so was- Trey Gowdy got in there? Trey Gowdy was in there. Brian Kilmeade's done it a few times. I don't know who else is doing it. I don't really pay attention to that time slot. I'm only in Fox News for Gutfeld. That's the only show I watch on Fox News. No, um, I had seen like the clips with him and Gowdy. I was just like, why is Trey, where did he come from? I Trey, thought that Trey Gowdy, after he got out of Congress, I think he was trying to practice for a bit. And then he's been hosting some sort of Fox News show on Saturdays or Sundays. Oh. And he's been doing that for a few that years. That does have a video so people can actually see him. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that was the Sorry, other thing. He looks like a- Gowdy's like, we, Fox News won't crash. And I'm like, yeah, which is where he probably announced them in the first place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from like the ad hominem attacks on how he looks. But it just, every time I see him, I'm very confused. Just very confused as to... He looks like a he looks like a twelve year old who wished to be an adult boy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) something like that. I was always like, "This is a very um, avant garde look you have." (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, I'm not gonna. I don't. I try not to delve in that. But every now and then, I'm like, "Why are we?" You know, body positivity. No, but no, and I've actually always liked. I felt like Trey Trey Gowdy. Trey Gowdy has always been more frank and honest compared to a lot of the bigger Tea Party conservatives. And you have, quite frankly, a lot of Tea Party conservative people who don't like him anymore. They feel like he sold out on Benghazi, which I think the exact opposite. I think he actually, I knew from the get-go during the Benghazi hearing, he'd be the only one who'd be fair about it. My biggest issue with Benghazi when that was an issue with, and it was the same with the impeachment trial and so many of these other political investigations is people start with the conclusion that they want and work backwards. In Benghazi, they wanted Hillary Clinton to be the culprit, so they worked backwards to try to prove it. Trey Gowdy, to his credit, was like, I'm going to, I'm a prosecutor, I'm a guy who believes in justice, I'm going to look at all the facts, and he was the reason why the Benghazi committee basically come out with diddly squat, even though a bunch of other Republicans were like, oh, something happened here. Trey Gowdy was fair the whole time, and he was the reason why they were able to have a fair investigation, I believe. So so maybe I should stop crapping on Trey Gowdy. <laughs> it's again, it's comparative, obviously, with it's like saying it's but. Anyway, right. so DeSantis afterwards went on Gowdy's talk show. show and then what? Uh, like I didn't basically spend about 30 minutes talking about what he's going to do. Okay. He's now in Iowa now talking about. We need to win. And I think that's going to be his big argument is he's the Trump candidate who can actually win. Whether or not that's the case on a national level is besides the point. But he, when the midterms were going around, Florida excelled where everyone else didn't. And so I think he's trying to run on that of success. He's running, of course, on those cultural war issues that he's been passing over the past two years, getting those evangelical vote, votes, trying to steal those away from Trump, which would be very big. I think that the evangelical vote in this race, and especially since Mike Pence is actually- Primary? Yeah. 
evangelical vote as splitting the evangelical vote is going to have a major effect because a lot of the reason Trump won is because of that evangelical vote. Yeah. So I'm very interested in seeing, of course we have Mike Pence and a few others, and we're going to talk about that next Sunday, but Mike Pence is set to announce next week. And that's another person who can take evangelical votes away from Trump. That will be fascinating. So I will, I do remember some of the quotes that came from that Trey Gowdy interview. And one of them was that Ron DeSantis is going to destroy the leftists in Florida, of course, which was making the rounds on my circuit of folks because hell that's pretty strong rhetoric and Mm. could potentially incite violence against people like me. And I have a problem with that. So that was my takeaway on that is listen, I'm all for great. We can have different sides. We can have different, I would never say I'm going to destroy everybody. You wouldn't say I'm going to destroy Byron Donalds or the Republicans. You're going to attack us. You're going to condemn us. You're going to. When you start using that kind of charged rhetoric, that's Mm. very related to violence that could Mm. incite people to violence. I think you're going down a very dangerous path. Yeah. And I think when we've had this discussion before about um, the hyperbole of it all, Obviously, I know that's not, Ron DeSantis is not talking about physical destruction, but you are absolutely right in the sense that you have people on both sides, but in my side in particular in this case, who will, who have violent tendencies and who want these excuses to, yeah. to enact violence. And yes, you see, again, you do see it on both sides, but it doesn't even matter which side it's coming from. The fact is we need to have it stop. We shouldn't be having it. Yeah. Whether we it's, shouldn't be having know, this type of charged political rhetoric yeah, where we're talking and inciting and inviting really extremely violent linked and inducing language. I just, yeah. I, it's just worrisome. Cause I, I am a target. Mm-hmm. Like no, I would yeah, be worried absolutely. if I was not a target, but like when yeah. they're talking about, they're going to eliminate the Democrats, they're going to yeah. destroy them. These are not like, Hey, we're gonna, but this is not like baseball talk. No, like where you're, not. Yeah, I don't think it's again. They're, life, they're not, right? you know, Ron DeSantis is not saying that saying everyone go out and violently attack the Democrats. When these individuals and politicians say it, they do mean it hyperbol- hyperbolically. They don't mean literally. But again, you, I can see, you, I can see your point that aggressive rhetoric has the has the tendency to incite. At the end of the day, though, I don't think the person who's responsible for the violence is the individual committing the violence. That's and, fair, and we can't blame Ron DeSantis just as much as we can't blame Democrats. Was it that Democrat that shot up that baseball game that one time? We can't blame either side for the violent tendencies of individuals because it's not always even just, oh, they're incited. Maybe that's the inciting incident is someone say, someone like Ron DeSantis saying, destroy the Democrats. But there's most likely serious mental health problems going on or different other issues that so are you saying left. that maybe we should limit access to high-powered weapons? Oh, no, absolutely not. No, but I am definitely maybe saying... Maybe to keep like these people who might be on edge away from committing violence. Well, I will say anyone who is emotionally unstable, I will agree that we need to keep guns out of the hands of them. And that needs to be done through due process of the law, through a court of law, not through the way it's usually done, where it's like a doctor signs off on it. And that's not due process. But if there's a due process with a court of law... To, to take people who are violent because of mental health problems, to take that away from them, I am all for so that. So you would support red flag laws if there was like a warrant? If there was a warrant, actually, yes. If there was a warrant 
and the individual had the ability to go into court. Yes, I would support it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm okay with that. Generally, no, though. What I would oppose red flag laws is if someone can call in and say this person's a danger to themselves and then they can take away their guns. No. Yeah, that I mean, let's not make it the Baker Act, okay? Yeah, exactly. And that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> the Baker Act is in itself, as someone who's been Baker Acted down here in Florida more times than once, it at itself needs massive reforms on how that's 100%. And so yeah. that's, yeah. The topic for another day, though. That is a topic for another day. I do think my grandparents are going to be here soon, but that was the two main things. And I got to go pick up kids. So there we are. Perfect. So we'll rendezvous next Sunday at Ollie's at our same time and place. I know that I'm sure there's going to be more news between now and then that we're going to talk about. Oh, for sure. So so I'm very glad, again, that we got a chance to do this. And we'll be back to our normal regular schedule, guys, this upcoming Sunday, unless there's some force majeure that stops us, but not. (laughs) So otherwise, yep. So we'll meet drinks up at 4 p.m. at Ollie's Records and Beer in Cape Coral. Live show starts at 4.30. We invite you to come have a drink, stay for the live show, and then you can, I don't know, shout, throw beer cans at us during the show. (laughs) No, don't do that. If you're like there and you say something, we'll respond. And you can come have a conversation with us afterwards. We are trying to build a community around this. And this has been a Democrat and a Republican walk into a bar, a special update edition. And I'm a Democrat Democrat and a Republican walk into their bedrooms. (laughs) <laughs> walk into yeah the yeah, walk into our individual rooms. All right. All right. I'm your Democratic host, Dr. Cindy Banier, and I am Sean Hartman, the Republican, and Cindy, I'll see you this Sunday. Yep. And tune into everything that we have at Big Mouth Media at BigMouthMediaFL.com. You can get a subscription to this show for $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year, or you can get everything that we have to offer from Big Mouth Media for $19.99 a month. And we sure hope that you do so you can support independent media like this in this time of just fascinating news and politics. <laughs> All we're right. We'll see you next we're, time. We're definitely some of the best insights you're going to get. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Have a good day.